Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Hello, future doctors, and thanks again for checking us out. So last week was match week for medical students, and in this week, they find out where it is that they matched for residency. And then there's an actual match day, and on that day is where you find you specifically find out where you're going to complete the, your residency training program if you're going to need to move or whatever it may be. And as I was looking through all the social media, it was so exciting to see my social media flooded with so many future minority doctors going into all sorts of specialties. And I really, really hope that this continues to be a normal and we continue to see the rise of all these doctors that are coming from different backgrounds. So that way it really does reflect the society that we live in. So if any of you matched and you're listening, congratulations. As I was thinking about and reflecting on Match Week, I started thinking about my match day. Back then, I knew that matching into residency was important, but the actual idea of celebrating this accomplishment, I don't think I really understood it. I didn't tell any friends, I didn't tell any of my family members about match day because honestly, I thought that we were just supposed to show up that day and some med school admin person was going to tell us, hey, this is where you're going. However, little did I know that this was actually a celebration and what I found out is I was totally minimizing the situation. I got there. There was a lot of people. They had significant others, um, some family members or friends. And the school actually had decorated like our little conference room. They had refreshments. And when I walked in, I was like, oh, crap. I showed up with my three-year-old niece because my sister needed help babysitting. And I knew that I didn't have classes or anything. So I said, yeah, I'll take her with me. And I'm just going to find out. And when I got there, I honestly was a little bit embarrassed, um, not knowing that this was actually a, a big special event. I remember I rushed out once I got my envelope that showed me where I was going to spend the next three years of my life, which was in LA. But I really, really felt out of place because I totally missed the significance of the day. And once again, I felt like I was this imposter medical student. Like I didn't belong there, like I've shared so many times before throughout my medical school journey. Sadly, this is a true story. When I thought about it, I didn't necessarily associate it with positive feelings like I should have. So today I wanted to talk about imposter syndrome so that if anyone can relate to the story, whether you're in high school, college, medical school, or wherever it is that you're at, you know that you are not alone. Imposter syndrome is a psychological process in which you doubt your skills, your abilities, or accomplishments because you have this internalized fear that you're going to be exposed like you're a fake or a fraud. And man, this feeling just sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it feels like, like you have to keep this poker face, but you have a really bad hand, but it's for a really long time and it's a prolonged time. You know, when I think about it, I didn't know this term, but I can definitely think back, I felt the syndrome in high school and college, medical school residency. And I'll be honest with you, I still struggle with it as a doctor today. I know it doesn't make sense. I'm a doctor. How could I still have these thoughts? But it's true. So 
to address it, what better way than to overcome is to face it. And I figured, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the real stories and share our stories so that maybe we can try to get over the psychological process that it's so ingrained in our brains. And most importantly, to have you future doctors listen so that you know you're never alone. Imposter syndrome is very much present. And many people, you know, it's not only if it not only affects the minority students, but because we are here to promote medicine for you guys, it's very present with a lot of the minority minorities that are pursuing medicine. Before we get started on the real talk, I did want to bring up why it's an important issue to discuss. Imposter syndrome can lead to constant feelings that your success is related to external factors. What do I mean by this? Have you ever told yourself, oh, I just got lucky? That's what I'm talking about. Two, it can increase symptoms of anxiety and depression. Three, it can increase isolation because you don't really want people to know who the real you is or know your real abilities. Four, it can lead to perfectionism because you feel that you have to do extra good and be extra perfect without mistakes so your peers and your superiors don't find out that you are a fraud or a fake. It's, it's more like a feeling of having to overly prove yourself. And all of you know that systemically, minorities have to just work a lot harder anyhow. So this is just this other layer on top of that. Five, it could also produce constant feelings of being a fake expert because you don't feel like you know everything. Six, the syndrome can actually uh, impact negatively as well how you perform because you're so caught up in this fear. And then seven, it can lead to career or education burnout. So, you know, in other words, you give up or you just drop out of college, medical school, or, or even change your careers as physicians. So now that you know why this is important, um, I'm going to do the episode a little bit different today. I want to share some common thoughts, um, and these are imposter thoughts, and I'll ask Dr. Marina some of them. And she and I will share some experiences along our way, whether we were in high school, college, or medical school, or even now as doctors. So are you ready, Dr. Marina? Yes, I'm ready. So here's one common thought. It was out of luck that I got into medical school or college. I got so lucky that I did well on that test. Can you think about a time when you felt this way or you thought this, Dr. Marina? Oh, yeah, definitely. I can think of many times. (laughs) (laughs) So especially I think I was lucky or it was a mistake that I got into this college because as I've mentioned before, I went to a pretty prestigious university. I went to Stanford and coming from really humble circumstances, I felt very out of place there. And especially when I started to struggle in my second year, when I started taking my more rigorous pre-med classes, that's when I really started to sort of believe maybe I don't belong here. Like they made a mistake letting me in. (laughs) Like I'm not as smart as everyone else here. You know, just that feeling of I don't belong. I'm an imposter, exactly like you were talking about. So that can be really hard because what do you do? You're there and part of you is just like, well, I have to just keep on pretending that I belong here because what what else am I going to do, <laughs> right? But inside, I was really struggling. I was thinking, how am I ever going to get through this? How am I ever going to get the kind of grades that I need to get into medical school? Everybody else has it easy. That's one of the other thoughts. It's a false belief. It's a false thought that feeds into imposter syndrome is looking around and thinking everybody else is having an easy time and I'm the only one that's struggling. Looking back, I can see that that was completely false. There were other people that were struggling 
They just weren't talking about it. And I wasn't talking about it either. So how are we supposed to talk about it if everybody feels like an imposter and nobody wants to talk about it, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the tests, the test portion when I literally, I think any test that I've done good in, I've never said, oh, it's because I did good because of me. I have always externalized that. And you know, what's funny, it's like when I thought back to when I was in college, so the tests that I didn't do well on, I internalized. Oh, that was because I didn't know. Um, I'm not smart enough. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I can recall. I take an exam and I do great in it. And I'm like, oh, I got lucky. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And, and it's so, you know, just reflecting that on that, it's so common for us to believe when we do bad, but we don't believe when we do good. Now, now that, you know, we're older and we've been able to really reflect more on, on these thoughts, how do you think we should correct that statement? Like, say, instead of externalizing, saying, oh, I was lucky. What would you say, like, for our listeners, if they're, if they're kind of stuck in externalizing when they do well, like, what would be a way to reframe that statement? It really helped me to think about myself as a different person, <laughs> kind of like, what would I tell myself if I was my own friend or if it w- if I was a family member? Like, would I say, oh, you got lucky <laughs> when you tell me you get an A? No, I would say amazing. Great job. You must have worked so hard. Like you deserve it. Right. So I started to try to kind of separate my uh, myself and look at myself from a third person perspective, if that makes sense. Right. And it's like, why am I being mean to myself? Why can't I congratulate myself? Why can't I give myself a high five just like I would with anybody else that I care about? And so learning kind of that, that self-compassion that I call it really helped me to be able to give myself credit for things when I did them well, and also not be so hard on myself when I didn't do well, you know, so when you do well, Take the time to congratulate yourself. Give yourself credit for the hard work that you've put in. And when you don't do well, be nice to yourself. You know, how would you treat a friend if they had gotten a C or D on a test? You know, so so yeah, just treating yourself nicely is a big part of that. A lot of us have been raised in environments where maybe we witnessed someone being really self-critical or people were critical of us growing up, depending on your situation. Some of us grew up like that. And so it you can internalize that criticism, you know, whether it was external or internal, you continue it, you internalize it, but it's not going to serve you in the long run. So learning to be nice to yourself is I think a big part of learning how to undo part of that imposter syndrome. I definitely agree with that. All right, here's the next thought. If I make a mistake, I will really stand out even more or I should know the answer. Can you recall this thought at any point? <laughs> uh-huh. The I should know the answer, definitely. That's very common. <laughs> and I think especially, you know, once you've gone through medical school, and I remember in residency, I took a year off to do a master's degree between medical school and residency. So when I entered my residency as a first-year resident, or an intern as they call it, I had forgotten some stuff. And I felt like I was behind because I was doing something else for a year. And I felt like, oh, no, you know, all the other interns around me, they remember this, but I don't remember it. And I have to catch up. Or when you're going around, it's called rounding, 
when you go and visit all of the patients in the morning and you have one of the attendings, one of the senior doctors leading your group, and then you have a senior resident and then you have an intern and then maybe a medical student on your team. And you're all going around and talking about each patient and how they've been doing, what the plan is for the day. And sometimes the attendings will turn to the residents and say, what do you think? Or what could, what's this diagnosis? Or what's the next part of the treatment? And it can really put everyone on the spot. So I remember definitely thinking I should know the answer and all of a sudden just being filled with embarrassment and, you know, just feeling like I didn't belong there at times mm-hmm. because I didn't know the answer. And maybe some of my other colleagues did. But the reality was that sometimes I did know the answer and sometimes other people did not know the answer. And that's part of working as a team. So it's okay. You don't have to know the answer. That's why you're in training. If you knew the answers to everything, you wouldn't need additional training. And even now as an attending, Dr. Z and I, we don't always know the answers. There is no doctor on earth that knows the answers to everything. That's why we have continuing education. That's why we go to conferences. That's why we have books and resources where we can look things up when we don't know them. And medical science is changing constantly. So it's impossible to know everything. But yes, that thought definitely feels familiar. Yeah, I remember in medical school and also residency, that's where that thought came a lot. And I mean, I was so hard on myself that when I didn't know the answer, and again, the feelings of embarrassment, again, like you're being discovered, like you're not smart enough. Uh I would carry that with me for the rest of the day. Like, literally, I would just the whole day, it was just like, my my chest just felt heavy. And then I'd get home and, you know, sometimes cry. (laughs) Yeah, because I was so mad at myself that I, I, I forgot most of the time, you know, where I'd be like, I just forgot. I know. I knew that. I knew that. I'd get home and look it up. And then I was like, oh, my God, how did I forget this? Yeah, um, but just being so hard because then it's almost like you add this other layer of the of you being this this fake med student or a fake doctor. Like, oh, my goodness, how am I ever going to be a doctor when I don't know everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it's true. Even our own attendings had to look stuff up at times, right? And they've been in practice like for over 20 years, very smart and everything else. But Mm -hmm. um, it's just that feeling that just doesn't go away um, during that stage. But just like you said, you're never going to know everything. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what else comes to mind is sometimes it's not just embarrassment. It's not about not knowing it. Sometimes we actually know the answer, but we're embarrassed to get it wrong. I remember many times when I actually knew the answer, but I was afraid to say it out loud because I thought, what if I'm wrong? I think this is the answer, but what if I'm wrong? And so I wouldn't say anything. And so I would, I was probably perceived as not knowing as much as I actually did because I was too afraid to get it wrong. So fear of failure can definitely feed into that phenomenon. Uh, I remember specifically one day on my surgery rotation, I was on doing cardiothoracic surgery and I thought it was so fascinating. Open heart surgery, right? <laughs> Bypass surgery. And, you know, you get to see like a beating human heart in front of you and it gets turned off and then it gets worked on and then it gets turned back on. It's amazing. But the surgeon handed me or like, let me feel this like still beating heart. And it's right at the point where the heart is not beating normally anymore, but it starts to quiver before it gets kind of shut off temporarily. And um, he said, feel it. He said, what does it feel like? And I remember from my studies 
it had been described in textbooks as feeling like a bag of worms because it's kind of wriggling, it's quivering. And he said, what does that feel like? And the thought immediately came to my mind. It feels like a bag of worms because that's what I remember reading. But I was too embarrassed to say it. And I just stood there (laughs) acting dumb because I was so afraid to get it wrong in front of this cardiothoracic surgeon. And he gave me a few moments and he said, it's like a bag of worms, right? (laughs) And I just thought, why didn't I say it? I knew the answer and I didn't say it. And that memory is just still so strong in my mind because it's a perfect example of just being too afraid to say what was on my mind and therefore, you know, missing out on an opportunity to show how knowledgeable and capable I was, right? So don't be afraid. Don't be like I was because it's okay. Even if I had taken a guess and gotten it wrong, now as a doctor, I can appreciate how just students trying is important, right? It's like, I don't, when I'm teaching students now, I'm like, I don't care if you get it wrong. I just want you to try. I want you to participate. I want you to show that you're interested. And when is, when a student is too quiet, I feel like they're bored or it's like, are you not interested? Or like, I want you to talk even if you get it wrong. But at the time, I didn't know that. Now I do. Yeah, I, I, I totally get like sometimes when, you know, um, in medical school, and even in college classes, you have those little group discussions, right? Whatever it might be. And that's where a lot of dialogue happens, the an- asking questions or waiting for answers. Mm-hmm. And I would always be like, I know this, but I wouldn't say anything for the same reason, because I'm like, well, I'm like 95% sure it's right. But what if I'm 5% wrong? And I hold on to that 5%, right? Uh-huh. And more time, and then when somebody else would say it that was, you know, more comfortable speaking out in front of a group, then, and they would say what I was in my mind, I was like, dang it. And then I'd kick myself in the butt, like, why didn't you just say it? You knew that. But it's just that feeling of it, the insecurity, right? Yeah. And you don't want to stand out and so forth. But and yeah, and we had an episode about a year or two ago on the topic of stereotype threat. Stereotype threat is, you know, this phenomenon where you're not just afraid of getting something wrong. Anybody can get something wrong, but you're also afraid of confirming a negative stereotype about yourself. So I think in our cases, at least definitely for me, once I learned about stereotype threat, I realized that some of that fear that I had about speaking out, it wasn't just about getting something wrong. It was about if I get it wrong, people are going to be like, she is Latina. She doesn't belong here. Look at how she doesn't know the right answers. And that's proof that she doesn't belong here. We don't always know that that's going on on a conscious level, but it can be going on and it can be very strong on a subconscious level. And once I learned about it, a lot of stuff made sense. A lot of the fear that I had experienced made sense. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check it out because a lot of you might be experiencing that without realizing it. And it can be helpful just to bring it into awareness. Yeah, especially when you're in a classroom or in a group where people don't look like you. That will especially happen, which for most of you that are trying to be doctors, you're going to find yourself in courses, classes, meetings where there might be very few of you there because that's what we see even as doctors. Yeah, exactly. So please check out that episode. It's really good. All right. Here's another one. When I came across this thought, I really did think about, I do this quite often, but let's see if you think, can you think of a situation where maybe you said, why me? Or I don't deserve this. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think especially when my self-esteem was lower in college, 
It's interesting because I think a part of me always did feel like I deserved just as much as anybody else. But then there was another part of me that felt that it didn't. And I think a lot of us can have kind of have those like dueling voices in our head that are just kind of fighting with each other. But there was definitely one one part of me that sometimes felt like I didn't deserve really amazing things. And my husband (laughs) was probably one of the influences in my life who tried to fight that, you know, he'd be like, what, you know, yes, you do deserve this. Like, why would you think that you don't deserve this? You're just as good as anybody else. And he would kind of help fight that for like with me or for me. But it can be it can be a difficult one because sometimes we're just uh, especially if you're raised in poverty or you're raised without having a lot, then getting certain things can seem like a luxury getting certain opportunities, getting to travel, for example, you know, the first time that I got to really travel, I felt like, well, it's not fair. Like my other family doesn't get to do this. Mm -hmm. I deserve this opportunity. I really wanted it. But part of me kind of felt bad for Mm -hmm. getting that opportunity. So I can definitely resonate with that. How about you? Yeah. So in you bringing that up, it made me even think about another situation. This is me as a practicing physician, and I was working at this clinic, and I had a great colleague. She's much older than I am. One day she came, and she got a gift for the staff. She gave me a coach purse, and she gave a lot of the staff um, like nice gifts. (laughs) This was like my very first expensive (laughs) item, Uh and I felt so guilty. I felt guilty having that, Mm -hmm. and I said, why did you do this? Like, no, here, take it back. And, you know, she told me, she said, you know, a problem when, because she came from a low-income background herself too, and from a farm worker community and so forth. And she said, you know, the hardest thing I've had to learn is that I deserve good things. Because for a long time, I carried this guilt. But you've worked hard. If Mm -hmm. you can afford it, you deserve it. And she said, and it took me so long. And she's like, and I can see that in you that you really try not to go for a lot because you have this sense of guilt. She said, and that's why I got it for you, because Mm -hmm. I want you to get comfortable that you do deserve nice things. I felt so guilty. Yeah. And then another time, often still, and I still struggle with this, is when I get uh, a recognition or an award. Mm -hmm. And my first response is like, why me? That constantly happens. And even even recently with some recognitions and awards that I've received, it's like a reaction should be like, oh, thank you, right? That should be a reaction, Mm -hmm. right? But it's so hard to undo that too. And to feel like I'm, I'm deserving of this. I've worked hard. It's okay. So I'm still working on it. (laughs) Well, me too. Me too. And actually that, that makes me think of another thing when it comes to money, this can be a huge thing, right? And when I got my very first job right out of residency, I did not negotiate my salary. And that was a huge mistake. Please don't ever do that. (laughs) Always negotiate. And so I just took the offer, the first offer that they gave me, because to me at the time, it seemed like a lot of money. It was way more money than I'd ever had in my life or that any of my family had ever had. And so I thought it's wonderful. And then reality kicks in. And a few months into the job, I realized how much of that money is getting taken out for taxes and how much of it is having to go to my student loans and how much it costs to live in San Diego, California, which is a lot. And all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, like this isn't as much money as I thought it would be. I just, you know, part of me was like, I do deserve more. I started 
looking up how much, you know, other pediatricians made in the area. And I realized that the offer they had made was really low. (laughs) And I started to get a little bit bitter about that. But at least I recognized, you know what, I do deserve more. However, asking for more can be really, really challenging because, again, you can, you can get back to this feeling like, I don't deserve this. Who am I to be asking? Like, uh, what power do I have in this situation? All of those things, right? But when it came to future jobs and now that I own my own business and I'm the one having to determine how much I charge patients for certain services, I've gotten better at valuing my time and saying, you know what, I deserve to have a good quality of life, a decent salary, and that requires asking for money, right? That requires valuing my time, valuing my service, putting a price tag on it. And so, yeah, it's, it's been an evolution and a work in progress. I'm not perfect at it yet either, but I have gotten better at it. But we, you know, we all deserve just as much as anybody else. But it takes practice mm-hmm. to get to that point where you feel comfortable asking for what you deserve. I'm, I'm glad you brought up that point because I feel like when you come from a low socioeconomic background, this is so challenging because you still see family members or your community struggling. So then you tie it to this guilt of feeling non-deserving of it. Because everybody else is struggling with it. So you kind of get stuck there. But it's really important to work through it and talk about it. And remember, you have worked hard and you do deserve it. It's okay to sometimes feel happy when not necessarily everybody around you might be. And it's hard. I will tell you that because I still experience moments like that today where I have family members that are struggling. That you even get to a point where you're like, I'm about to go on this really nice trip, but I have family members that are struggling with that, 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 that. But then you have to tell yourself, if I were to help all of them, then I wouldn't make it, right? Because there's so many of them. (laughs) So at some point you have to, you know, say, I do deserve this and really bring it into your mind that you've worked hard for it. Doesn't mean you're a careless person or anything. Um, Mm -hmm. You still love them, but, but it's hard. It is, it is really, really hard. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you have to accept that you can't solve all the world's problems. You still get to choose how you spend your money. I have helped family members in the past, and it feels really good to be able to do that. But I get to decide where that line is for myself, realizing that, you know, I I deserve to have a good quality of life. I've worked so hard for it. There's nothing wrong with living comfortably. I can still help people once in a while, depending on the situation, but I can't fix a hundred people's problems, right? No matter how much you make, you're not going <laughs> to be able to support, you know, your hundred family members, but yeah. Yeah. Good point. All right. One more. Have you ever had this thought? I better enjoy this while it lasts. Um, Yeah. I think especially good things that happen in life, especially if if you've had a hard life and you're not used to good things happening to you, all of a sudden when you do hit a good period in your life, it kind of feels like, oh no, when is this going to end? Because my life is not usually like this, right? And so I better enjoy it while it lasts because I'm sure it's going to be over soon and life is going to go back to being hard, right? Yeah, I definitely had that one. How about you? Yeah. Even when I was in college, I would always go with like this mindset that 
you know, I might not make it. <laughs> so let me enjoy it while I'm here because I might end up having to go back home. Mm-hmm. I might end up having to go work where all of my family members have been working for the past 15, 20 years, right? So it, it's almost like you carry it throughout the way. Like, let me just enjoy it because I, this isn't guaranteed. This isn't guaranteed. And again, these thoughts then go into like, this isn't guaranteed because I'm not supposed to be here, right? <laughs> or because I got lucky to be here, right? So let me enjoy it because this is out of luck that I got here. So I think I, I carried that throughout my educational career. But at this point, I think now you see in your, you start thinking differently now at this point that it's like, you actually create your enjoyment. You truly are in control of it. It's not by sheer luck. It's not, of course, nothing in life is guaranteed, but you can create that enjoyment and for it to continue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Hopefully some of these thoughts you are, uh, hopefully you're not, you're not overwhelmed with these thoughts actually, but it's realistic. I mean, um, this is very common, especially if you're a first generation student, if you're going to be the first doctor in your family, um, or even if you have family members that they're going to be the first lawyers, the first physical therapist, whatever it might be. This is a, a, a common, common issue among many of us as we pursue um, higher education. I do want to just talk about like how to, we did talk about ways to address the, some of these thoughts, um, but I did refer to the American Psychological Association website and they had some good tips that I want to share with all of you. So one is something that you can do is learn the facts, step back five years, and then look at the big picture that you're currently in. And, you know, when you have these thoughts, actually think about what facts support where you are today. And you'll find a few base it on true facts you'll realize that those thoughts you're having are very not true (laughs) because you have actual facts. So for example, wherever it is that you are, look at all the effort you put in these past years, whether you're in college, medical school, or you're going to be on your way to medical school, wherever it is that you're at, or even in high school and you're going to graduate. I'm sure you just didn't show up to your class and pull off really good grades. You actually had to work for it. So that's a fact that you actually work to be where you're at. So when you're in high school and you get that acceptance letter to a college, you deserve it. This is because of what you did. Okay, so really try to disprove those thoughts with facts. And then as you're working through this, you know, just really monitor your internal dialogue so that you're being supportive to yourself. Two would be share your feelings with trusted individuals. Dr. Marina and I are here sharing with all of you. So we're hoping all of you guys are trusted individuals because it really helps work through these thoughts. So that way you can succeed and really try to overcome all these thoughts that come into our minds. Three, we referenced to this earlier, celebrate your successes, no matter how small, don't brush them off, celebrate it and own it. Like I did this. So even if it's for you to go out to dinner, buy yourself something nice, it's okay. Celebrate your successes because that is something that you did. Four, let go of perfectionism. A lot of you might be type A if you're going into medicine, Uh right? Um, It's just part of our personality, but really letting go of that perfectionism. Adjust your standards of success and then start seeing your failures as an area of growth and not a deficit, not something that's wrong with you, but okay, let me see how I can grow from this. And then really getting comfortable with the idea of I'm good enough and that's okay. 
regardless if you're a college student, medical student, even when you're a doctor, you do not have to be perfect. Good enough is okay. Please have self-compassion. We talk about this a ton, Dr. Marina and I. Love, love, love yourself. Allow yourself to make mistakes because guess what? You're going to make them, right? And then that your accomplishments are not tied to your value, that you value when you, I feel personally, that the greater value is when you fail something and you grow from it. I feel like that's where the value truly comes in if you ask me. I agree. Definitely. If I look back on my life, if everything had gone perfectly, I wouldn't be half the person I am today because there were so many lessons. I mean, at the time, don't get me wrong. At the time, I would have said, I do not want this. I hate this. Please go away. Negative experience. But looking back, I grew so much from some of the hardest experiences. And I would not want to do them over again either. (laughs) They were hard, right? But I can appreciate how I grew in my compassion and my resilience in my life perspective in so many ways because of them. And we're here, both of us are here because of those experiences. If we hadn't struggled in our own path to medical school, in our own medical training, in our own lives, we wouldn't have this podcast. We wouldn't have the knowledge and the wisdom and experience that it takes to share with you so that you can overcome your own challenges, right? It can be awful to go through certain experiences, but most of the time, if you just surrender to the experience and get through it, later you're going to see how much you were able to grow from it. Yeah. And you know, honestly, I also feel that even today when I'm going through a hard time, I reference to those times in my life where it was hard and I was able to overcome it. So that's where I'm actually pulling my strength even today. And that's why I think that's where the value comes is when you've had a hard time, you failed, but you grew from it because you'll continue to use those times in your lives to continue to grow in the future when you're going through hard times as well. Just remember to talk to yourself like you would talk to a family member or friend that's going, just be really nice to yourself and don't be hard on yourself. Six, share your failures. This makes a huge difference, which is why also we created this podcast, because I think when you share failures, it makes the experience more real and it makes it more doable. That's why we're here today. And seven, accept it. You know, if if those thoughts come to you, accept. Okay, this is my thought. Work through those thoughts. Lately, what I've been doing, and I'm, I'm working on this, is just doing mindful practices. So when these thoughts come into my mind, I think of these thoughts as though they're written on a cloud (laughs) and I see them from a distance. Okay, I see you there, but then I let them float away. So I've kind of been practicing that visualization and I started doing this in the last month and I'm sleeping better. I'm just feeling better because it's not like I'm rejecting it because they're there. Those are thoughts we do have, but I see them printed on a cloud and I said, all right, I see you, but I'm going to let you just drift away too. Uh-huh, okay. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's so important. And I do something very similar. I started doing that a few years ago. Well, it's been a gradual <laughs> evolution, but it, it's so liberating because you're not rejecting yourself. You're not telling yourself, oh, I'm bad for even thinking that. You're just saying, oh, that's interesting. My mind comes up with all sorts of things, but just because it comes up with them, it doesn't mean I have to believe them or I have to accept them, right? Like you said, you can just notice them and let them float on by. You don't feed them. If you 
notice it and then you start like being afraid of it or you start feeling guilty for it or you start believing it, that's when it can spiral out of control and lead to more negativity. But if you just notice it and you're like, oh, isn't that interesting? My mind comes up with very interesting things and I don't have to believe them all. I can choose. I can choose what I grab onto and what I let go. It's so liberating and it really just leads to a lot more happiness, a lot more calm, a lot more peace, a lot more ability to just surrender to the experiences of life and not fight with them, which can lead to a lot of unhappiness. So leads to a lot more peace and happiness in the long run. I promise you try it. It's not easy because those thoughts overpower your mind. But the more you practice, the easier it is to do it. Okay, Mm -hmm. so please try this if you guys are struggling with some of these negative thoughts that come into your mind. And then personally, these are other things that I would um, I wanted to mention just to consider is that systemic barriers are real. And sometimes it is out of our control, usually is out of our control, especially in medicine, once you get into the medical workforce. And sometimes it will be the system and not you, which is why we're doing this. We want to diversify the workforce within physicians because we know there are systemic barriers that we need to get over. So don't waste your time internalizing these issues when they're really out of your control. And then nine, um, I, I talk to a lot of people about this, is just always consider your source when you're getting feedback, evaluations, comments, and always be alert who the source of the feedback is. And truly only consider sources who you, true, who you feel are very trustful individuals, because chances are is that these people are giving you constructive feedback to help you and not make you feel bad about it. And as a matter of fact, these are the people that you are likely you're going to feel comfortable sharing these imposter thoughts with. So all those other people are really just transient beings in your life. Take their comments, just like I told you those thoughts to the clouds, and then let them drift away as well. Okay, because if not, you can really, again, those can make your own imposter thoughts become stronger if you don't really consider who's giving you this feedback. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So we hope you enjoyed this episode and had some ah moments that you can relate to, or even you might be going through some things right now. Just know you're not alone. Keep going and really practice on letting those thoughts be passing clouds in your life, as I like to refer refer to it. And thanks again for all the love these past two years. We're going to continue bringing topics to you guys. Check us out on social media, follow us, check out our website. We have awesome plans that we hope we'll be able to do to help you guys out. And we'll be posting and updating our website and social media sites as well. All right. Peace and love, everyone.